Welcome, welcome. So, uh, my next guest of the podcast is Mr. James Follows. Um, he's one of the people I've known for the longest amount of time on this podcast. Him and I go back to 2011. I hope you find uh, this episode interesting because obviously I've known him for such a great length of time. It shows a true reflection of who I was growing up and uh, the person I've become and also the person he's become. Uh, he's grown into a, uh, an amazing friend and um, he's, he's been through a lot and, and he's come out the other side and he's uh, honestly one of the strongest people I know. Uh, so without further ado, uh, please welcome Mr. James Follows. It was called Riff Wack. And there I think you have the essential difference between us and the rest of the world. I do yeah, like the fish fact, I think that's, that's my favourite segment. Mm, yeah, the reason we have the fish fact is because down our road there's a chippy called uh, Big Fish. I know. And the thing is, is that the uh, podcast was going to be called The Biggest Fish, just right. to, uh, One up. To, to flex on the big fish. Makes big sense. Big Fish sell uh, really, really good chips. If you want. No, not sponsored, we're not, not sponsored, sponsored by the uh, Big but Fish, but if they want to. Yeah, they want to because their fishes are incredible. Fishes are incredible, and so are their chips. Hmm. They do. Uh, they cook them twice. So double cooked. Yeah. I've never heard of that. I've heard of triple cooked, but not double cooked. So like the the way that you triple cook chips is you blanch them first. Mm-hmm. So you cut them up and then you put them in the in a in a pan. Yeah. For ten minutes. Yeah. Boiling water, and then what you do is you put them in a deep fat fryer on one setting mm-hmm. for three to four minutes on like a one thirty heat. Yeah. And then you take them out, let them rest for a few minutes, and then you put them back in, and you uh, finish them off for one two minutes on a high heat of one ninety. See, I just prefer McCain's oven chips, but I guess um, no one's perfect, are they? Well, oven chips. Mm. Yeah, is that weird? Fit? Is it? Oven chips are. I don't know. They're sometimes they can taste a bit carb cardboardy. They don't taste a potato. Well, I don't know. You know. <laughs> I suppose be, being in uni can't yeah I, can't, I, can't, I don't have time to cook triple cooked gourmet chips mm. yeah that's one of my Gordon Ramsay shout out to you for uh, teaching me the ways of uh, triple cooked chips also sponsoring the podcast. Also, also sponsoring the podcast yeah so um, it's really interesting that, that James has, has come on my podcast because James and I go back to last decade oh yeah I was going to say it's almost 10 years now isn't it ten, it's 2011 yeah we we first laid eyes on each other I know and it's been a dream ever since it's been a dream ever since yeah James and I were in the same form group yeah in in a hot cruel Anglo-European college in a sunny Bishop Stortford the place to be really place to be both I was a weekly boarder you were a you were a day boarder yep day boarder um <laughs> yeah and uh yeah, we had some interesting times. We were in the same form group. I mentioned that That's with uh, Mister 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 James, our form tutor. Mm-hmm. Had some good times there. I yeah, think I was form captain. You were form captain. We were both uh, lead leader of the army, of the uh, Brunel army. Yeah, but I was form captain for two years consecutively. So was I. Year twelve and year thirteen. Oh, oh, you took over my mantle. Oh, of course, man. Oh. They were like Tibbo. You are you you are the embodiment of leadership. You are the next James. Hmm. So um, I didn't stay on at that school for sixth form. I moved across, literally across the road to a um, another sixth form. To a girls' school. Yeah. Because <laughs> <laughs> um, that's what James is into. Yeah, I, I guess. 
the, um, the, the, he moved for the ratio purposes, not not uh, not academic purposes. I actually moved to um, to do politics at A level because the IB. I think the IB is great, but it. I wanted to have a really narrow focus for my education, and the IB wouldn't allow that. Also, the school wouldn't let me back in. So. <laughs> yeah, which is quite surprising because people have. James is a very intelligent person, but I think that like a lot of like a lot of people that I know uh, you can be extremely intelligent um, outside of but as soon as you're asked to memorise things for GCSE mm. you know like you can you can be very intelligent you can be well read but the school system doesn't really teach you how to it it, it teaches you how to memorise things as opposed to how things work and yeah. you know you could know all about or even you could know all about a certain thing, but just because that isn't on the syllabus, it means that you won't perform well. Yeah. Um, I think there's yeah. a problem with education in that sense, that it is teaching you to pass exams, and you're not learning. And I think that's the difference between a, a good teacher and a great teacher. Because a great teacher, um, you'll pass the, they'll teach you how to pass the exams, but you'll also learn. And you look back, I, we've been lucky, and I'm sure, I'm sure you'll, you'll agree that there are some excellent teachers at, at Hot Girl, and you really feel, you don't notice it at the time, but now you look back and say, you know, they made a difference to me, and that's one of the reasons I'm, I'm considering teaching as a profession, because um, I just like, yeah. yeah, I'd, I'd just love to make a difference, you know. Um, mm. It's and that's one of the ways I think I could do that. Yeah, I mean the thing that I think that the reason why people perform so well at our school is, yes, teaching. Uh, we had some fantastic teachers. You know, I can think of uh, many. You know, I can think of. Um, Care Geisler, I can think of people like um, Mr. Pollard, I can think of people like uh, Mr. Russell. Mr. Russell is one of the best teachers. Mm. It really made a difference for you with your DT. Yeah, Yeah, because when I started doing, uh, I did resistant materials in year nine, I was predicted a D. I got a B overall in uh, GCSE and I couldn't draw. And they advised me. I originally wanted to do electronics, mm. uh, and they said to me, to they're not running the electronics course this year because not enough people did it. Yeah. Uh, so you're gonna have to do with different materials. And they called me and my parents in for a meeting because I couldn't draw. Yeah. And they were like, uh, you might have to change yeah. option because we don't think you're gonna do well. Uh, I got a B overall. Mm. And I worked really hard, and then I then end up being my. I picked it again for IB slash A level yeah. and end up being my, my highest grade. I got a six, which is like a A, uh, design and technology. Yeah. And it's, uh, it's actually one of the things I miss the most. Uh, I miss doing that because it's, or it, it really, design and technology, what it gave me at school was that creative outlet because all the other time, you know, I although I studied a lot of languages and mm. I did maths and I did English, and it was that one thing that gave me. It felt like it gave me a break from uh, from class, and it often felt like I wasn't in the classroom. Because, yeah. And the classroom size was so small; it was like six of us, and and you know, you really got this uh, like almost mentorship um, mm. from from Mr. Russell, and it just it felt as if you were never in you were always doing projects and it never felt as if you were working and because you then I think the, the main difference is because you got something out of it at the end um, whether that be a physical product or, or, or even you know a bit of coursework that is it, quite useful that 
has a has a bearing on on society. You know, I had I did a um, I designed a helmet for Boris bikes in London. Mm. You know, so I've got a I've got the I still got a document um, on my laptop, and sometimes when I go to interviews, you know, it helps me get jobs as well. For sure, yeah. Because it's it's transferable skills, and it it I think that's what it taught me. It taught me it taught me how how to think which is what going back to what you said yeah is is probably more important than content and memorizing content exactly and i think i mean the uh logo you've designed for this this podcast is a prime example of that where you're not going to use Pythagoras theorem to create content it's something that's really applicable to what you're doing and you've been able to use it for a whole variety of things outside of dt and as you're saying it's something that you're you put in your cv you put um You've got a um, whole book of the stuff you've done. Yeah. What's it called? Portfolio. 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 Book of things yeah. you've done. Shocking. Yeah, portfolio. Yeah, no, but it's it's transferable. You know, whether it be graphic, whether it be product, whether it be um, many things. And I think if you ask uh, our, our mutual friend Andrew, mm-hmm. he, he'll probably say the exact same things as mm. everything I've just said. So, but I, I think that that can be in whatever you do. It doesn't have to be design technology it can be something like um, art or music or I think that doing something creative is really quite underrated for sure and it's something I completely um, I wish I was able to be creative um, I think you can be I think everyone can be I'm it depends on what you mean by creative yeah everyone that's true from a from a board from a broad stroke uh, stroke perspective everyone can be creative but I mean sort of artistically creative sort of having that skill being able to draw well being able to sort of create a uh, be musical for example and I sort of missed the boat on that mm. but from a ideas perspective from that I, I guess I, I, I guess everyone is you know it's um, it's just about sort of unleashing that creativity which I think the education system isn't very good at doing whether through all the way from primary through to university where we're at the minute so what, what would you change? would I change? oh that's such a hard question um, if there was an easy answer they'd have done it I think that's People are always looking for easy answers, regardless of any any problem with your your life in politics. Um, I don't know. I think there's too much pressure on kids to do well in exams, and I think there needs to be a alternative uh, to sort of academic. And it's awful because uh, apprenticeships, which should be equal with the academic route, are seen as seems worse and I know it's getting much better now but with degree mm, level apprenticeships I really want to do an apprenticeship but I didn't want to go to uni necessarily I really no. want to do an apprenticeship uni's a waste of money but 100%. you have to go 100% 100% but you have to go it's just it. all you need is that formalised uh, piece of paper piece of paper that I can be trained in such a way that means that it's then transferable once I reach the employment stage exactly. of training that's, that's all it says that you can be educated to a high degree that would be productive for the workforce. Yeah, and we were saying in the car over, it's um, it's the worst it's the worst standard of teaching we've had in our academic careers. Really, not a fault of any. I in- it's interesting because there can be there are instances where lecturers are so awful, but then you don't know whether they're full time lecturers or whether they're lecturers in training, things like that. I think that some of the old school, some of the some of the older lecturers. Uh, excellent. Some of the some of the best people I've I've ever learned from, but I think that also it's that combination of. I know that we went to a boarding school, but I think this is the same 
true for uh, many other schools is the decrease in contact hours and then also the lack of discipline so the thing is is that I would go to you would go to a class for an hour and you would sit there you wouldn't be on your phone you wouldn't necessarily occasionally you could bring your laptop out but it wouldn't be you know a feat of every lecture Mm. so you wouldn't have that distraction where you can just go and read BBC News or or you know and I think that it's that real but because the lecturers don't care and they get paid irrespective mm. yeah. I think that it's that whole thing that it's that you're left to drown we're not going to try and push you you've got here and it's up to you to get out of it whereas in school the responsibility was on the burden of the of the teachers mm. so if you didn't do well they wouldn't do well mm. and I think that maybe if there were a bit more accountability in in university but as you say it's got nothing to you know, but then you have that whole issue of how how can you measure the lecturer's performance based on someone not going out, uh, uh, someone not coming into to lectures because they were too busy going out taking drugs. Yeah, of course. Well, then you know, then it becomes it's that grey area. Mm. I think that, that that discipline is is what's missing. Mm. Contact hours is a big part of it, though. I'd, you'd go from having about five hours of um, contact time a day to Five, five hours or less of direct teaching a week and that's shocking bear in mind this is the first level of education you're paying for mm. and it just it is not value for money and I say this all the time and I apologise to Tim because he's probably heard me say this a million times <laughs> but this current method of you know higher education isn't sustainable because the value of your degree is constantly going down but the price of it is going, going up. up yeah it's not sustainable and it's I think that especially with this introduction of uh, apprenticeships and people might think I'm this is really really crazy but I really do think that the next stage of online I think there's going to be a revolution I think there's going to be people will slowly start to not necessarily drop out of uni but won't go to university and you know people are ready on YouTube and everyone does and I think that you know there's more and more of these you know critically celebrity lecturers and things they're really really popular as well yeah. uh, going up on YouTube and they get really really uh, big views and you know you can do it whenever it suits you you can pause so you it can, you can pause it you can go yeah. back whereas in a lecture unless you record it and you, you know you could be off the ball for one one minute and you could miss the most mm. crucial bit of the lecture yeah, and the worst thing is they don't want to record the lectures because if they record the lectures, they'll um, no one will go. Yeah, no. Even worse, they say if they record the lectures, they'll the uni will lay off the lecturers because they don't need them anymore. Mm. And if that's the case, then that's shocking. Like, you're, like it's really starting to go like that though. There's there's a real the way that I see it at universities is a real division between the students, the lecturers, and management. Mm. There's a real disconnect, and, it, you and can they see it visibly. all hate each other. Yeah, well, it was it came out all in the strikes because it's it's very bizarre. There's three big parties: the students, the management, and uh, the staff. That you say, and they all seem to have uh, daggers at each other's throats. Mm. Really, really seems that way. Yeah, it's not a very. It doesn't. Whereas a school, I wonder whether it's our university or if it's true across the board. That's true. I don't know whether it's true. Across, well, the strikes were across the country, weren't they? Mm. But it doesn't have that. There's no community feeling like there is in a school. Mm. 
I, we were lucky because we went to a, quite a strange school in the fact that it was a state school that had boarding. It was a state school that had boarding, I think. I might be, I might be wrong here. You can look it up, but I think there's only one of five. In yeah, country. definitely less than less than ten. Yeah, and it's like what uh, people will say to you: "Oh, you went to boarding school, whatever." But the price that I paid per year is what you would pay for private boarding schools per term. Yeah, it's crazy. Um, but yeah, I know. I looking back at how, how looking back at Hot Crawl, how do you do? You have do you look back at it with mem fond memories, or do you look back at it and think I really hated that place? Because for me, it's mixed. Um, I can understand why you see it as mixed. For me, I, at the time, I when when you're a kid, you don't you don't care. You don't you don't you don't see things like you would now. And I look back and I think that was the best days of my life, you know? Really had fun. Um, and you didn't have to worry about finance, your uni deadlines, anything like that. And all the big, the biggest problems were exams. At the end of the day, the exams were easy enough. You passed them, you have fun with your mates all the time. And it, it really is sort of the best times of your life, I think anyway. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe my circumstances were different. Mm. And also, you live quite close to, uh, to the school, so... I don't know whether it was just me or the case for other people who were in my shoes, but holidays were really lonely. Yeah. Um, but maybe you would go out and see see friends during yeah. the holiday time, but it, you could go four weeks without seeing anyone. Because you'd get longer holiday. We um, had Saturday school as well, mm. which is a novelty not many people in the UK experience. Um, which, but as a result, we had longer holidays, um, which is quite nice. Mm. It was very nice. If you looking back at at school we we had some funny times yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah but no you just like the sort of hijinks like lads get up to like the muck up day and you don't get that you didn't get that no that was my uh, day that I got suspended from school yeah uh, that's the only day I got suspended from school I, it was like a weird thing because it was a internal suspension and I got suspended at, it wasn't even formal they just sent me back to the boarding house on the last day between 10 and 2 Mm. because um, my uh, English teacher didn't like me particularly <laughs> and I put cling film on her desk but oh that was that's that's a day that really really upset me because yeah that, like they sort of said like okay so last day you can sort of do whatever you want and this was year 11 mm. and um, I put cling film on her desk and she got really angry with it and she was like oh that's a health and safety issue I was mm. like come on and then so they sent me to um Mr. McKenzie and uh, yeah they just were like oh you're gonna we're not gonna send anything back we're not gonna because back in year 70 year 10 things I got up to man like I had I had I had at least 25 letters home oh really yeah but I think that it's because of boarding though because the thing is is that I would spend all my day there yeah so the thing is is that if you're a normal student you'd come in at 9 leave at 4 and if you did something at home, you know, your parent would just have a go at you. Yeah. Whereas if you did the slightest thing wrong at home, i.e. boarding, you'd get a letter sent home. And, you know, I was constantly getting, getting letters sent home. So what's your view on boarding then? Uh, did, do you think it had a positive impact on you? Yes and no. Yeah? How so? Yeah. I think that it definitely, I, I don't think that I would have so at the time I went to boarding school because my parents were well 
there was there was ongoing family issues, and mm. I think that it wasn't a sustainable place for me to live. Yeah. And I think that what it gave me was that, uh, you know, I sort of had a for a long period of time, I had issues. I think I had looking back, I probably had like issues with my parents, mm. and I think that I had a lot of resentment. Yeah. And I think sometimes I still do. I get, and I think they know that I, I sort of get resentment to, towards both of them for mm. no reason sometimes. And and I think this I shouldn't really, and I know I shouldn't because they're just looking back. You know, you just think that they're doing the the best job that they can. And yeah. I think that often I wasn't. I don't know. I just think when you're growing up as a teenager, you're you're very angry. <laughs> you're angry with a lot of things. Everyone's out to get you. Yeah, everyone's out to get you. And I think that as I got as I got older yeah I sort of still have moments where I think oh they're doing it again yeah um, but I think yeah so being away from although I, sometimes I miss my, my family I of think course. that um, I think that it was the best thing for me and I was used to it because I lived in France yeah. uh, I went to school in France so I never really got homesick because I was used to it um, and that's why a lot of people when they come to university as well they get homesick yeah, of course and I, I never experienced that because from a young age from 8 or 9 you know I was used to being quite an independent child for sure but yeah I think that it looking back it it gave me that routine I think routine is very important to self-discipline mm. yeah and it gave me um, that I think that constantly be it was like constantly being with your friends and looking back if you if you can imagine the school antics it was school antics on drugs yes, of course because 24-7 24-7 in that in those first two three years of boarding I did no work and it was like a constant party and every day we were doing stupid things in boarding getting into trouble and it was really good fun. Just lads being lads, you know. Having, really, really good fun. Having a good time. But yeah. then when, but then when shit got real in year ten and eleven, I sort of was like, I don't want to be a part of this boarding joke thing. Yeah. And I think that I sort of changed. Um, yeah, I had. I sort. Yeah, I, I sort of changed who I was and just started to put my head down and and did quite well. Mm. You know, I think I think that year ten. So was it was a really really crucial thing for me because uh, I sort of became alienated uh, through a lot of my friends because of um, a certain boy called Misha Sharp, and I think that that there was a really crucial part in my in my life because if I hadn't have done that and I hadn't have been like uh, black sheep like like the black sheep of the year because I didn't then care what anyone thought about me. Yeah. Um, I, I, it was it was a relief because um, I didn't care and I just focused on myself mm. and then I then really worked hard because I think that I realised that I was too busy trying to impress people and I think that if I hadn't that that day was a really crucial part of my life because it could have gone two ways I could have got straight C's and not done very well yeah. or I could have gone on and did what I did and put my head down and work hard and ultimately it got me into a Ross Group University so I think that sometimes you know um, bad things happen to you for a reason Yeah. 
and I think that if I could if I could go back and um, and change that I don't think I would yeah I don't think I would uh, yeah I'll probably talk about what happened uh, another time on the podcast yeah uh, that, that's a that's a whole story in itself yeah it was uh, unple- unpleasant to watch as a spectator um, myself and Timo weren't I wouldn't, we weren't, weren't massively close. I wouldn't say we, we... I'd say we were friends, but... I'd say we were friends, but we weren't... We weren't close. close. I think we're the closest we've, we've been now. I think that, yeah, since... So, I didn't talk to you for two years in sixth form. Mm. I literally never yeah. saw you. But I think that, you know, it was that coming back together at university, seeing you, and then you had uh, your um, your wobble. Yeah. And I think that that brought us together. Yeah. And I think that uh, you've come out, as I say, I think that sometimes, uh, unfortunately, the be- the worst things to happen to people make them the best version of themselves. Yeah, I, I, I agree with you. Um, I think life, life isn't about bad things, it's about how you get up from them. Mm. It's easy to sell for life when the going's good, you know. And the hard times do, do make the the good times better, you know. Uh, makes you appreciate things. So the, the wobble uh, Tim was referring to is um, my dad had a uh, cardiac arrest on the f- first day of university and passed away a, a uh, month later. And so I, I had a lot of disruption through uni, obviously the social aspect as well. And Tim was really, uh, it was great, it was there for me. But it was really uh, quite, a, quite a horrid time really. Um, the university wasn't very supportive they were trying to convince me to sort of drop out and start again, which would have been added stress. Um, but I got through it. I'm here now. Um, I've got a great group of group of friends, and I feel um, like you know you just you just have to keep soldiering on. Yeah, you seem really happy with um, Emily and Molly and uh, Connor. You know, they seem like a, you, you're like a little family. Yeah, it seems to get on really well. Yeah, so it's. Um, I'm glad that you. Uh, lovely happy. group of people. Like you, you, it's it's all luck of the draw though with. Um, you hear some horror stories. Oh, for sure. You do hear some horror stories. Um, yeah. 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 But, yeah. <laughs> I think that you know, I think this is a natural part of life, and you know, unfortunately, when, when, so I remember with your with your dad. I remember it was so that summer. I remember hearing that your dad wasn't well, mm. and then. Because I met your dad, is really really nice person, a mm. uh, really lovely man. Did a lot for Bristol for community. Mm. Did a lot for um, Bristol Rugby Club. Yeah. Because I remember when when he did finally pass, there was a really really touching, uh, a bit really really heartwarming. Mm. Uh, but I, yeah, I just think that no one prepares for that. I think that well, you don't you don't you don't know how. No, and I'm because, lo- because he going back. Yeah, he had his first uh, blip and then you sort of said to me oh he's getting better and things and then next thing you know he yeah. went down to to battle and, and yeah I, I and and especially when you're supposed to be the timing couldn't have been the timing was so awful because it was yeah. the first day of university and you didn't you were constantly going down to going down to Essex and you were constantly making sure he was okay and you know I imagine doing a lot for your mum as well making sure she was okay mentally mm. and emotionally yeah, but yeah, as I say, no one prepares for that. It's not, as you say, the life lesson that you got there. It's probably, 
you probably learned more in that in those three months than you will in your five years at whatever university. But but everyone, yeah, and that that it will, yeah. That's that's that's. I think that's a fair assessment, and I think, um, you just. I'm lucky that I managed to say um, a goodbye because the last time I saw him was when he moved me into uh, university, and I did manage to say a proper proper goodbye. But some people don't. Some people don't have a good relationship with their parents, and they can be estranged. They can just they can be abusive. And I'm lucky enough that I've had two great parents and I had a wonderful childhood. And some people never have that. You know? mm. So it whilst it's really sad. It's you can look back on it and be always fond of happy, uh, and it's not it's that cliche, you know, like don't be happy, happy, mm. happy whatever, what, I can't remember what it is, but mm. you know, be be grateful that you had what you had, and rather than look back on it and be bitter that he's gone, yeah. at least be happy that you have those memories. Exactly, and 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 respect the fact that some people some people don't, and it's it's an int- it's an interesting. It's an interesting one going forward, as dealing with grief because people don't know how. This, this for lots of people, this was the first instance of anything like this happening amongst yeah, their friends. I don't know what it's like. I and 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 you you can all it's it's easy to get resentful to other people because they, oh, they can never understand me. You can go into a hole and just say, well, they don't get me. I, I just have a real chip on your shoulder. Hmm. But then you're pushing aside the people who care for you most, you know. And what I'd say to anyone listening, wherever you are, is just cherish the moments with the people you love and care about. And you know, just enjoy them, because one, some people don't have them, and two, you never know what what's going to happen tomorrow. You know, it's very, very true. You it's only live once. You only live once. <laughs> it's very true, though. You, I, I could come, I could walk out my house later and get hit by a car. You mm. just, you never know what what, what will happen. You know, but we take you take Kobe Bryant yesterday, yeah. one of the biggest uh, basketball players. You know, arguably top three, uh, LeBron James. Michael Jordan, you know, people, and then Kobe Bryant—they're the three. Pe- they're the three that non-basketball fans mm. know. Well, exactly. I don't. I don't follow basketball at all. But I always remember at school, someone's doing a Kobe. chucking a <laughs> yeah. chucking a water bottle at someone. <laughs> Kobe, and then, but that's the influence. And you know what? And when that's the case, you have to say that that is a legend because someone who's just disconnected from the whole basketball thing, and he's taking his daughter to. Um, play a basketball game yeah it's really it's really sad to go and watch yeah I mean I've got to see it I personally think that James is one of the funniest people I know but in a non-comedic way in a way that he doesn't mean to be funny in a sort of not to be mean but in a Mr Bean way and I think that I could watch you for a day yeah. With a GoPro. Okay. And watch your mannerisms, and because people say that about me, that I'm yeah. quite strange. Yeah, I was, was going to say, look at yourself, buddy. <laughs> I know, uh, and I think that we're quite similar in that way. That yeah, we could. That we don't operate in a. We're both sitting here with our legs crossed, for example, and people would look at that and go, well, "That's a bit weird," <laughs> but it, it's comfortable. Um, uh, yeah, and I think that we could. The way that I see James is that he makes me laugh, just by his day-to-day interactions with the world. I mean, I try to be funny as well, as a side of that. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think comedy is a great way of connecting with people. I and I, I've got so much kudos for for what you're doing. And you know, I might 
join you on the stage you can, or join you in the crowd. But I, I, love, I just love making people laugh, either by what you do or um, what you say. Because I think laughter is the one thing that everyone, everyone can get behind. Uh, funny enough, <laughs> yeah, um, I think just making people laugh is great and it gives you such a buzz. Mm. And but I think there's a difference between sort of comedy and being sort of just making people laugh. If that makes sense. Okay, explain. What, what do you mean? Like, I, I in my view, comedy is it's not. It's either you don't you have to. Do you mean there's a difference between humour and comedy? Yeah, yeah, I think so. Something can be humorous, but it's not comedy. If that yeah. makes sense. But humorous is entertaining in a light, uh, whimsical, whimsical way where uh, it it's quippy and it's not necessarily it it has the intention of being funny, but it's not. And I often think that something that's humorous is very very easy. It's easy on the ears. It's very easy to read. Yeah. That's the way that I interpret humorous, and and it's that thing where you're constantly smiling as you're reading it, or you're but you never laugh. Hmm. But it's you're still portraying that emotion of, of happiness. Yeah. But yeah, I, I think that if it wasn't for comedy, I don't know what I, what I would do, man. Because honestly, comedy is that it it gives you, especially when things aren't going well in your life or yeah. something. It's it offers that you, you go to a comedy club or whatever you watch on TV, and you feel you feel amazing afterwards. Yeah. And it's like it's the most natural drug you know I don't, you yeah, do I any of that but uh, nor do I but it's just one of those things that you do it and it's like you just watch it and you feel so good afterwards yes exactly and other people the people you're making laugh feel good mm. there's, there's nothing more addictive than making people laugh like genuinely making people laugh and human connections yeah I think that's what we live for as, as humans you know and I think it's, I think it's biological I think we've always laughed laughter's always been mm. um, a key like part and comedy's always been a key part of just society and I think you know as a kid humour was one of the things I had you know if you weren't like athletic you weren't like drop dead gorgeous you'd be funny yeah and that I, I, I think that's true I think that comedy is a uh, is a thing that if you're if you're not athletic and you're not yeah. good looking as you say so both us oh, come on <laughs> I, I think I'm good looking uh, <laughs> but no 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 um yeah, both of us. Yeah, let's be honest. Uh, <laughs> um, it's one of those things that yeah, you you work on that, and you make yourself funny because it offers you offer something else. Hmm. And I think that it's that because we didn't have anything else to go on probably as as kids, you try and work on yourself yeah. as best as possible. So some people go down the comedy way, some people go down the intelligence way. Yeah. Uh, and I think that they're the two avenues that people explore when they, because if you try, if you try and talk to someone who, all they did, uh, this is a, a very broad generalization, uh, but I think it's true. I think that if if you are good looking or you are very very sporty as a as a kid, you sort of neglected those those other features because you relied on uh, the way people perceived you, mm. uh, because that gave you a free pass so often. Yeah, and it's it's a damaging it's a damaging way to live your life. Mm. It really is. I've tried some of the I've tried talking to some of the I, some of the most athletic, well, not necessarily athletic because you can get very very um, 
this is a broad generalisation, but there are certain people that I've tried talking to that are really, really good looking. Mm. And it's really, really hard to have a, de- have a deep and meaningful conversation with Get them. away from me, you creep. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But then, and, and they're not very intelligent. And because all they've, they've always relied on people doing things for them. Mm. Because people, they're sort of in, engrossed by this uh, beauty and they yeah. will end up doing anything for that person. I don't necessarily think it's their fault. I think when you put someone on a pedestal and you say this person's amazing, it will go to their head. It always mm. does. Whereas if you sort of don't take yourself too seriously, get along with people, I think you'll just, you'll have a much easier time through life. And the people who sort of appear to be at the top, sometimes are just the most unhappy people. And I, I just always say, don't judge yourself by others, judge yourself by who you used to be. Because yeah. you can't- you It's can't, all about yourself. Yeah. yeah and and, be, and be, be who you want to be. I know this is sound like some trash, like um, inspirational quotes, but seriously, it's, if you if you say something like, it's something you want to do, do it. Don't care what people want to do. Uh, yeah, people want you to do. I agree. It's that you often you often get told that you can't do certain things and things like that, and and, and the you can make if you want to start to become the person you want to be, you can just get up and do it. You can if you want to start comedy, all you have to do go to a comedy workshop or find someone that's doing a gig and get up on stage. Hmm. If you, or if you want to start filming something by camera and just start just start playing around with it you know? yeah exactly. uh, and often it's those it's those times when you don't know what you that those early stages where you're not really sure of what you're doing where you're learning the ropes and you're playing around is when you get the most out of it and yeah. you learn the most exactly but I'm not sure what that has to do with good looking people <laughs> yeah <I don't. laughs> Maybe we were just in a daydream about good-looking people. I mean, speak for yourself. <laughs> oh, so how did you come up with this idea to start a podcast then? So as I say, um, this will probably go in the, the beginning. So I wanted to make a podcast. So often on when I do comedy gigs, so I I've done numerous amounts of comedy gigs now, and there's certain things that aren't leaving my laptop, yeah. and there's things that. I'm more than happy to share uh, with the internet and the rest yeah. of the world and, and the, the community. But the thing is, is that so I did a gig in September or October, and I know that it went really well. I know that there's footage, and I've been chasing it for months. And the thing is, is that when you build a comedy portfolio, I'm sick and tired of going to. Um, I, it's not that I'm better than that, but I, because I I don't I don't believe that for a second. But I'd like to move away from those gigs that I have done and I will continue to do in dark and dingy rooms in front of five people yeah. where you're getting paid £2 or, or for free mm. and I think that if you do this podcast as a way of building a portfolio um, so that people can see that it's another transferable skill that I've got that I can podcast that I can radio and that I can it's another creative humorous I wouldn't some of the episodes will be naturally more comedic than others based yes. on the guest appearances. Mm. Um, but it's a way of just making, of me being in control of my own creative out, output. Yeah. But I think that's I think that's just true of myself that I get quite frustrated with, uh, especially it's like when you do a group project or something in any in, in anything, 
there's always that one person who who works harder than everyone else who who does it's not that I want to be a comedian or anything I just do it because I enjoy it yeah. but I want there to be when I do when I do get gigs and I do show people and I want to progress um, then there's a way of uh, like in DC or whatever there's a physical portfolio that I can show to someone and I can say look here I've done this I've got some gigs on, on YouTube and I've got a podcast you know it, it's my CV it's my comedy exactly, CV yeah. and th- I think the more content you, you have on the internet the better it is yeah for sure the more you're getting your face out the more you're whether that be whether that be even if the even if the first podcasts aren't great uh, you get better and it's the same with comedy uh, my first gigs were okay I probably got in the whole 10 minutes probably two laughs Hmm. But those two laughs are what inspire you to to yeah. carry on and to make sure that uh, each time, each and every time, you get better. Yeah. And so, you know some of the things that I've got on YouTube. You know I'm not I'm not proud of. Well, I, I they're not they're not my best work anymore. Yeah. But at the time I was very proud of them. But it's just not me because I've evolved as a comedian. And it shows your development. And and it shows your development. Yeah. That's so important. People forget that. Mm. Because sometimes the process of how you got to where you are is a lot better than physically who you are now far more important because you if you forget if you forget if you and it's a good motivation if you can go back i can show james after this show i can show him some early footage of me doing stand-up comedy that i've got on my laptop that's never left yeah and uh but that's good so that when you do have those bad nights where you only got where only five minutes worked mm. you look back on it and on the in those segments, you only had ten seconds that worked. Mm. So I think that it's it's important to as a grounding tool as yeah. well. Well, it goes back to what what I said is you have to judge yourself by yourself, not by anyone else. If you looked at some of the best comedians in the world and said, "Gee, my material is not as good as theirs," then you'd you'd permanently stay down. If you say, "Look, I did this at the time at the time is my best stuff." Now I look at that and say, "I'm way better." Mm. That's really improved your standing instead of just looking at the top and saying oh I'll never be able to get that up there mm. look behind you and say oh that's where I've been it's funny though because would would knowing me for as long as you've known me would you if someone would have said to you five years ago oh you know two is going to be regularly doing stand-up comedy would you believe them I could have seen it yeah yeah, yeah. You, you, you've you always had that sort of dynamic what that flamboyant yeah yeah um, you, you're um that showman sort of dynamic, like you could feel comfortable on stage quite easily. Mm, it'd be interesting. It'd be interesting to, to ask people who've known me uh, back at secondary school. But I feel like I was, I feel like I was a bit of a rogue. I've always been a bit rogue. A bit of a rogue. Yeah. I've always been a bit. People know me, but I'm a bit mysterious. Like people don't know me that well. They know of me, but they don't know me. They know you, but they don't know your story. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's proper proper philosophical. This isn't it. Yeah. No. So it'd be interesting, but yeah, oh, that's cool. I love, yeah, I suppose because I think that at school it's very different. Like you, as you say, you can be funny, but doing some like comedy is very different. You know, like you yeah. just because you know I did certain humorous things, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't have said that I was the funniest in the year. Yeah, and I don't think you know. I I think Dara Dare was the funniest in the year. Oh, I can't. But, but it, yeah an iconic man but I think that if you were to try and get him up on stage 
He's got no substance to him. People just find him funny, find the way that he is funny. Mm. Whereas the actual things that he comes out with might not be necessarily funny. Try and get Paradise to a 30 minute piece of stand up. Mm. You know, all, all he would do is he would walk up and down on stage and we would find that funny because we know who he is. Yeah. Whereas to a newcomer or to a punter seeing this man on stage, they'd think, what, what's, what is going on? You know? mm. that, it's more that confusion. Yeah. So, if anyone has by chance ever had a pet goldfish and you've realised that the goldfish isn't the, the sharpest fish in the bowl, then you're right, because fish typically have quite small brains relative to their body size. Tibbert, did you know this? Apparently, 0.06% of a fish's total mass is its brain. It's blown your mind. No. That has blown my mind. It's 0.62. No wonder they forget everything. Thank you for that. That's really going to resonate with our listeners. No, you're welcome. And I look forward. We look forward to next week's instalment of Bags Fish Factor. So you've watched Love Island? No, I haven't watched Love Island. I haven't. Have you? <laughs> yeah, I have. I've, I've I wouldn't have you down as a Love Islander. But I'll be honest, James. No, I'm, I'm sure quite a few of the people listening wouldn't. But I've really been enjoying it. So my flat were like, oh yeah, we have to watch it. Um, it's so good. Huh? I was a bit sceptical, I'm not going to lie. But I've been having so much fun with it. It's um, it's just such like meaningless entertainment. Hmm. And, like, it's interesting seeing all the drama. And it's just a great like because it's on every evening. And it's just nice having um, like the flat, just watching it, and like yeah. yeah, it's that sense of togetherness, you know. Yeah. What uh, early early predictions? Who do you reckon will win? Uh, that's a tricky one. I'm gonna say, and bear in mind they could have been kicked out by the time this comes out. I'm gonna say Finley and Page because I really like Finley. I think he's a solid guy. Hmm. Okay. And there was that guy who got kicked out for. Um, Trophy hunting wasn't there as well. Yeah, I saw that on Twitter. That's that's a weird one. Um, I so he said on the program that he'd um, he was still in love with his ex, and that's where he left. But it, lots of people said, well, he was kicked off because of that. Was he doing well with with the girls? Because um, is, is isn't he like a like a, a lord or something? Oh, it wouldn't surprise me. He's like this. Um, yeah, I, th- I think he's like doing alright. But I think he, he left in the second day. Sorry. You don't really get to know. Mm. So yeah, strange stuff. Yeah, I don't really watch that much TV, but I have been. Um, I've been watching. I finished Rick and Morty. Oh yeah. Uh, over the whole day. I've heard good things about that. Yeah, yeah. I really like uh, the character of Rick. You know, yeah, yeah. he's like this drunk alcoholic, uh, alcoholic man. I think that we can all identify with with him slightly. Is that sort of Ricky Gervais type person who doesn't doesn't care so much and. Yeah. Um, uh, just speaks his mind, and I think that the reason why people find him refreshing is because it's it's something different to what it's it's different to what we we hear all the time. And he's someone who's who's not afraid to speak his mind. It's sort of yeah, I've seen like a couple of episodes. But it just seems so ludicrous, mm. like, just so so outlandish and like out of this world. Mm. Like, well, literally, apparently, 
look at the Simpsons Simpsons rating so it's the same people who made the Simpsons oh is it yeah I didn't know um, you can tell by the uh, outro um, font and things like mm. that the same people who made it but apparently what I've been reading is the Simpsons isn't doing that well in America anymore no now I'm a big Simpsons fan of course, yeah, I, saw, so am I, yeah. I saw watch the new seasons oh yeah on Putlocker uh, on a very legal streaming <laughs> site of course um, and I've got to say it is I can see where they're coming from but apparently they've talked about them axing the show it wouldn't surprise me they've they've gone far past its time um, so watch Simpsons loads going up in the boarding house they used to have it um, playing every every day and I think it's icon- truly iconic show probably one of the most iconic cartoons of all time hmm um, but there comes a point in any TV show where it's just it's gone on too long the material's drab it's not so good and yeah I, I've heard lots of terrible things about the new the new episodes mm, I think they've exhausted every avenue and it's a shame though because it, it diminishes from the value of the the original ones that were so good mm. do, you think, do you think that's true though do you think that it there comes a stage in everything's in every series or this is true for anything really that after a specific time it becomes it becomes so good that you won't be able to recreate the greatness of the originality of it and it's best to call it quits if you take Friends for example mm. that ran for so many series it's the most successful TV show ever mm. but they called it quits and yeah. they called it quits and they didn't try and run it on didn't once Je- uh, Jennifer Aniston didn't want to do it anymore whatever mm. they didn't try and replace her get yeah. someone else in as some TV series do, you take the yeah. Fast and Furious franchise, yeah. you know, Paul Walker dies, they still try and carry on, they're on their ninth one, filming all sorts of drab. Mm. You know, do you think that, do you think that, yeah, it's a family show and, you know, the, the difference is, is that it's cartoons, so you can always have the same characters on there and yeah. it doesn't really matter. It, you know, they've got, but do you think that, you know, is there comes a, there comes a time when it's time to, you know what? Let's move on. Actually, yeah, I, I think I think it's there's any contents like that, but you know, if the money's still coming in, people will still make it. But that's the problem; it reduces its sort of long term impact, like how iconic it is going forward. Like, will people remember it when it's over? If it's if it's had these like decades of mediocrity, which The Simpsons basically has now, just poor episodes, hmm. poor writing, and it just. It, sort of diminishes from its legacy really yeah it's the same with music as well I can think of plenty of artists that I really like go on and make a drab second album or they go mm. off and make a really really poor studio album off mm. the back of something you know and they sort of lose it's like lack of identity you know and they forget the core purpose of why they were doing it yeah. but then maybe that's as fame and uh, you know as you get more and more engrossed in it and, and you're your reasons for doing something change drastically. Yeah, you know that you might not be in in it for the same reasons six years later as you were when you first were making it as a hobby at your at your bedroom type thing. Yeah, I think with with music as well, you can sort of lose that that feel that that made the music what it was. If they're just making music to make money, then it's it's not it's not going to be great. Mm. Top top three artists of all time. Oh. oh. I, I don't really do that with music I, so I, I, I'm one of those weird people that you've probably come across who just likes a particular song like yeah. from a, from an artist and I like a song and my, play, my playlist is just full of um, 
Just just a collection of random songs. Just a collection of songs. So you're not an album boy. You're not a. No, I'm not I'm a big album, album fan. Yeah, I, I I know you are. Uh, um, but you're a, you're a individual song. Yeah. Put it I, into a playlist, and those songs mean things. Type type thing. Yeah, sort of. Although there is one exception is um is uh, Bruce Springsteen who my my dad was a massive fan of, and mm-hmm. at the time to- at the time I well, I didn't dislike his music, but um it's now after he's um he's gone it's like it's like a connect like a connection mm. into the past and it's really like I think music's about the connections you share with the people around you so when you listen when you put on a Bruce Springsteen record mm. you even though you don't know necessarily know the song it's that iconic voice that takes you that reminds you of oh my dad would have played this he would have enjoyed this and yeah and therefore, it fills me with happy and warm memories. Yeah, and now that I've spent more time listening to it, so I, at first I listened to it to sort of like because of that connection, and then you appreciate the lyrics, and you appreciate that he's a, he's he's an excellent performer, and these songs these songs are great. Biggest uh, American artist. Yeah, I think so. Potentially. In terms of record sales. Yeah, and it's brilliant. I honestly, uh, I recommend. Um, never, I never really listened to Bruce Springsteen. Tell tell you what, and the listeners at home. Or where they are driving safely. Mm. Um, if you go listen to um, like two songs that come to mind is um, "Born in the USA," which is such an iconic one. If anyone's watched Top Gear, like they know the Vietnam special where they had that bike that was blowing up "Born in the USA." Mm. And at first, you think, "Oh, it's just this bombastic song," but it's, like, it's just really like anti-war message, and it's it's just a really great song. And the other one is "Atlantic City," okay, which is a good uh, great song as well. What's the meaning behind that one? Or is there no meaning, just a, just a fun track? Um, no, it's not a fun track. It's um, oh, it's about this um, guy who moves to the city and uh, can't get a job, so he has to work for um, some uh, like gangsters, like for the mob, mm. and he doesn't know if he's going to like live or die. That's quite... Uh, some, some of the stuff is quite... Like, so it's like storytelling music as well? It's, yeah, storytelling. Mm. I think good music should tell a story. You think? Yeah. So that's uh, you're on your hierarchy of of uh, of music, um, of music qualities. You think storytelling is precedence takes precedence? Yeah, but then so like obviously Springsteen is like a I think it's a special case, very unique case. Um, but I do enjoy mu- the rest of the music I listen to. I listen to it because I enjoy it. I just it sounds good. It, I don't. It doesn't really put me in a mood. I, I don't know. I, I suppose I didn't really connect with music until I was like, quite old. I never used to like listen to it. It's only in really sick form when I was walking to the station that I started having a playlist and listen to music. Mm. I was just see what I wanted to do. Because mm. I know That's interesting. I know you're really you're really keen on your music. It's the Beatles who you're. Yeah. So for me, the first first band I went to was the Beatles. Uh, that's that's sort of like. It's sort of weird because uh, when you just I describe music as a discovery. Yeah. So the way that it is is that you often you find I love finding new songs. Yeah. I love finding new uh, things that speak to me. But my first outlet, the first thing that I found that really, really that I thought was so amazing, happened to be the. Uh, biggest band the world's ever seen of course uh, but I think that that's that's crazy it, it's weird in a sense because you think oh I found the greatest thing ever 
but then you realise that it's also the greatest thing ever for so many other people, um, which is which is quite a weird thing because, uh, yeah. But I remember in school, I listened to the Beatles. Uh, I was quite proud of it. Like oh, I listened to the Beatles from like year seven to year nine, and people were like, people, "You listen to the Beatles? Beatles are rubbish." Yeah, people were nasty to you. People were nasty to me because I listened to the Beatles. And I think looking back on it, I think, what the hell? Yeah. Like, that, if you if you look back on yourself, and and you were you were. And if you're one of those people that were nasty to me because I listened to the Beatles, look back on look back on yourselves now, and think about think about what you think about what you've done. Think about what you've done. Think about think about the cultural legacy that you were that you were that you were belittling me for, and then go listen to some music and educate yourself. But uh, it just shows you how stupid stu- stupid kids can be. Like you just like point like because like, yeah oh because what what were you into in 2011? What you you into well, labyrinth or something? You know. Like, I'm not no disrespect yeah, to Lambert love or Lambert. something yeah. but you know come on mate they're playing the same competition they're yeah. not in the same league it's know? ridiculous though like, it's just that whole like it's just, it's just difference people don't people don't like difference and it's like oh you're different I, I'm going to have to don't get me wrong I like rap too yeah you can like both you I can, can like, like both yeah. but it's like oh you have to like one genre I was like people who only like one genre are, mu- are musically ignorant mm. you know and I think that I like I like a lot of uh, music things. So I like Smiths. I like the Beatles. I like uh, French rap. I yeah. like um, you know even American soul music. I'm a big fan of Leon Bridges. Or, uh, German rap. German rap. Yeah. Uh, what what was it? Sidor. Uh, Sidor. Astronaut. Astronaut. What a banger. What a banger. Um, yeah. I used to I used to a bit of German rap in the car. Yeah. Listen to a bit of uh, Spanish as well. Listen to a bit of Portuguese. But yeah, no, I'm a big fan of. I I think the French rap and UK rap is better than American rap. Yeah, uh, that's that's just my opinion. Uh, you go listen to it yourself and make up your own mind. Yeah. Uh, but I think that stylistically, a lot of American rap sounds the same, and I think that it's not very clever music. But that's what I that's what I really so I really started off with the Smiths and then uh, with the Beatles and then I got into the Smiths. I, I really got into the Smiths because of sort of this nineteen eighties lyrics and this. Charming, uh, charming man—no pun intended—of yeah. of Morrissey with yeah. this, uh, with this really quite unique voice, mm. and I think that also subconsciously through the through the co- comedy side of me, if you listen to the Smiths lyrics, people often say the Smiths are depressing. Yeah, the Smiths aren't depressing; they're funny. Yeah, and if you listen to the lyrics, uh, come back to me, and then you'll realise that they're actually really, really funny lyrics. Mm. I think that they do that on purpose, but that's just. Yeah, uh, but I think that people should be entitled to like what they like, and I think that you know if you are into country and western, I'm sure that there is some amazing country and western. You know, you've got Billy, uh, Billy Ray Cyrus is one of the biggest uh, yeah. country and western people. If you go to America, he's well loved. Country's massive. Country's massive. Even but, even here. Yeah, if you yeah. say, "Oh, I like country" as an eleven-year-old, you probably would got bullied on yeah, it, which is not yeah. which is not fair. I mean, fair. I mean, I mean, country and western, though, maybe, maybe, maybe eleven. Oh, you, you know, <laughs> yeah. you can listen yeah. to whatever you want. Of course. You know, even if you're into dodgy ocean Friday night music, even then, I salute you because someone has to. And and I think that as long as you're confident in what you like and you don't try and listen to something purely because other people listen to it. Yeah, just you listen to it because it's popular. You listen because it's in the chart. That's the thing that annoys me when people just, oh, yeah, just put the chart on. Just put yeah. the chart on. Put chart music on. Yeah, but does that music really speak to you? Put the chart on. No, yeah, I, I want. This is a big point of controversy in our in our flag. So I, I don't listen to much music post 
2014. Most of my music is either late 60s, 70s, or 80s. Mm. Um, so whenever there's a house party, it's just chaos mm. to put which playlist playlist goes on. But I just don't like. I listen to to some like like I really like Billy Eilish, who won swept, uh, swept the, the Baftas to uh, last Grammys. Night, five, five Grammys. Yeah. I said to my friends, uh, I said that Billy Eilish had the best album of the year last year. Yeah. I listened to it. It wasn't for me. I like some of the songs. I like her as a person. I like half of half of the music but I know I listen to it and I know why it won best yeah. album and I know why and she's got a really distinct voice she's got a really distinct perspective and I knew that as soon as I heard that album I knew it would win best album of the year yeah and I also bet on with my friend Ollie that she would um, we were in the pub and I bet that she would win um, get the James Bond kick yeah and uh, she did but people were when we were having that conversation, it's quite weird because you always associate Bond with um, UK singers. Mm. So the last one that you had, Sam Smith, who went to school quite close with us. He did. Sort of. He did. Uh, and then you had Adele. Before that, you've had you've had Paul McCartney's. I think you, you've had Madonna. Uh, that's one of the uh, US ones. And you've had, uh, but most of them are Barbra Streisand, aren't they? Yeah. She, she's a big Bond girl. Yeah. Not not as in Bond girl, but she's the. Yeah, yeah, the woman associated with singing all the Bond songs. Yeah, yeah, and um, I can see why it did so well. Uh, my favorite album, I, I really like. Uh, I really like that album. Really like. Um, you don't really listen to my modern music, I do. I mean, I last, just, last year there were a few really good albums out. Um, yeah, it's just more like I just like listen to what I listen to. It hasn't really changed. Hmm. But I appreciate I appreciate music when it's when it's on, but it's not something I'd listen to if that makes sense. Like if you, if you like played it for me, I'd, I'd be like, yeah, this is good. And if I really liked it, I'd listen so, to it. So so what do you? I say you walk into campus. Yeah. What what do you play? Or do you play? Are you a podcast man? Are you a YouTube man? Are you a bit of Joe Rogan podcast? Are you a? Oh, I love a Joe Rogan podcast, but I I, I watch those actually. I have them on the back whilst whilst I'm doing work. Um, I obviously listen to your podcasts, uh, Tibai. <laughs> um. No, um, it really varies what mood I'm in. Like, um, so I've got my driving playlist, and that's a driving playlist, an 80s playlist, yeah. and a 60s playlist, and then the two, the three ones that like, come on the most. And what's your best songs on your driving playlist, 60s and 80s? What's the one that you just you could get rid of all of them, but only have one? Oh, that's that's one driving song, one 80s, one 60s. Oh, on the driving one. Um, I'm gonna say because driving music is very different to music that you enjoy. Because I have driving music that I wouldn't necessarily listen to in my room, but because you're driving, it makes that song so much funner. Can I cheat and uh? Yeah, go for it. Right, you, you can cheat. So I'm gonna cheat. So I'm gonna start in the six, sixties uh, and seventies. I'm gonna say it is. Um, it's a Neil Diamond song, which is "Brother Loves Traveling Salvation Show." Mm-hmm. Which is a very long, long title, but I'm sure most people have heard it. Like it's quite well known song. It's just, a, it's just got a really nice, like upbeat theme to it. Like, yeah, it's, it's not too bad. Oh, shit. a bit of uh, copyright music there. A bit of copyright music. And then for my eighties, I have to say is re- "Relax" by uh, Relax. Frankie Don't goes to Hollywood. <laughs> <laughs> who, who doesn't? Who doesn't love that song? It's iconic. 
And then for my driving playlist, it's probably um, hmm. It might actually be controversially um, Billy Leach, bad guy at the minute. Yeah, yeah. I really like the um, you know the drop really reminds me of uh, Night Rider. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Just weird electro synth. I really like it. I just it, it's just like I love hearing that song. I heard it on an advert and I said dark lyrics though. Yeah. Who are the lyrics? I mean, go and read them. If uh, anyone listening. It's up in bad guy. It's a bit about her dad. It's oh really? Mm-hmm. I thought it was about a boyfriend. Um, I haven't like you know you know you just hear really deep. It's really dark. What's the lyrics? Um, uh, sorry, uh, type to make your dad cry or something like you know it, it's sort of like that's really like yeah. I'm gonna cut that out, but look up the lyrics yourself, read them, and you'll be a bit shocked. Yeah. Uh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Fair dues, like yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so talk about Bond. Um, be interested, like because with so she's doing the new Bond song now. Do you think that are you one of these people that believes that Bond will always be a man? It's James Bond. It's a it's a male name. It can always be a man. It has to be white. It has to be white as well. Because Idris Elba's favourite to be the new James Bond. Um. So I'd love to see Idris Elba do it. Um, I love him in Luther. I think he's incredible. Um, he's he's one of one of my favourite actors of all time, really. Um, I so my view on it is James Bond is has in the books as a bloke, um, but in the blo- blo- but in the books he's also like um, I don't know like a like described. But mm. I think there is artistic license if if they were to do it. Artistic license to adapt. To adapt and to adapt for the twenty yeah. first century going forward. So I think Giselle would be a great, great Bond. I think though, like if you like people saying, "Oh yeah, Bond, Bond should be a, a woman going forward." I think like you could try it, see how it works. If it's successful, go ahead. But then what do you do with Bond girls? You end up with Bond boys. Yeah, maybe. But why don't you just make a new IP that's made around? Um, like having having like a, this uh, super spy instead of using one mm. that by changing it you're gonna up, you're gonna upset and alienate loads of people. Yeah, that's a good concept because Bond is so deeply cherished by millions of people. Yeah. But then if you wanted to have a female spy character, why don't you make your own one? Yeah. Is that what you mean? Is yeah, you? and you've got lots of like really good authors writing excellent works of fiction who don't get the break to make a make a film. Like the screenplay is probably already out there. You know, it's just. Mm. Yeah. What about um? Yeah, because it'll be interesting. Because it's the same argument with Doctor Who. You know, I'd be interested to see how. I think that they're keeping a close eye on it. Yeah. I think that they are because of this whole female um, role, and I think that if it's a success, that I'm not saying because the executive producer came out of Bond and said Bond will always be a man, irrespective of of uh, of what happens. Hmm. But I think it'll be interesting to see. You know, because if it does go well, then there is scope for adaptation and for, um, you know, because these, these characters can be fictional, you know. Exactly, that, that yeah. You can attribute, uh, you can make them however you so please. Yeah, exactly. Especially when it's when the name is, with James Bond it's a bit different because, uh, you know, it's James Bond. It's mm. not it's not uh, Jennifer, 
uh, Bond, you know, it's it's James. It's a it's a male name. Yeah. Uh, he's the epitome of, of masculinity, and, and that's what he represents. Mm. But you know, when it's uh, the name is something more arbitrary uh, with with doctor, it, you know, you can have a female, you can have a yeah. male doctor. Doctor so who? It's literally in the name. Who? Who? Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Whoever so, you want. Whoever you want. Yeah. It'd be interesting to see. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's an interesting one. I do. Um, it's interesting to see how Bond Bond himself has changed over time, though. It really does reflect the changing sort of view, like societal views. Mm. If you look, and also, yeah, with his with his body type, the gentleman type. Yeah, he used to be a gentleman. Now he's more so of a like more gritty. Rough, yeah, gritty. Daniel Craig's more of that like special forces commando. Yeah, guy. Instead of just the overly flamboyant. Instead of the yeah, like the Roger English Moore. gentleman. Yeah. With his tuxedo, I know they all wear tuxedos, but you know you could see him in a in a casino, um, you mm-hmm. know, as a refined gentleman who's a who's a jack of all trades. Mm. That that evolution, because we don't have, we have men in our society today, but I, I think that that gentleman figure mm. is no longer. I think that very rarely do you see a, a stereotypical English gentleman. Yeah, as opposed to when you would have in the six fifteen and sixties. If you look at in the 50s, 60s when the Beatles were around, hmm. uh, they were, you know, they were wearing suits every day. They hmm. were wearing. Whereas now you can go to work, in in whatever attire you desire. You know, even, yeah. even at university, I think that what was it? You always had to wear um, gowns. Oh really? Oh, well, that. definitely Oxford and Cambridge. Yeah. Whereas now it's uh, sort of, you know, a very casual, um, hmm. very casual, laid back thing, and I think that's reflected in in Bond. Hmm. Whereas he's more of a, they've taken the ultra macho side mm. and diminished the feminine side of Bond. Yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, I think there's also been like significant argument as whether Bond as the concept is outdated, because lots of people think he's got um, like problematic alcoholism. Yeah, there's there's lots of themes that like sort of like the whole concept of the Bond girl as well. People people have quite significant issues with that. And sure, that's fine in like the sixties, seventies, and eighties. But people are saying, "Well, this is not not what we want going forward." Mm. I mean, that's, they're the sort of the same people who are saying, "Well, maybe it's time to to pass the mantle to like a different generation." Mm. But then going back to that whole thing of, um, you know, when you carry on making uh, th- th- albums and films and concepts for the sake of making them, yeah, Bond is one of those interesting things where irrespective I know you have your some Bond films are better than others mm. but there's always uh, they have their core following and irrespective of what they pump out it seems to be gold whereas you take a Star Wars franchise you take a Fast and Furious franchise mm. and it's it you know they some of them get really awful write-ups and I know they have their cores because people will love them as mm. individual shows but they um you know, Bond seems to stand the test of time. Yeah, that's an interesting one, actually. Um, yeah, because I suppose it's just the different attitude towards the franchise, really. Because there must be so much individual direction with each film, as opposed to sort of having to constantly keep a narrative going. But it's an interesting one. I hadn't, I hadn't thought about that. Mm. I can't really think of anything else that has that legacy, like like Bond does, where it doesn't matter you know who it is what they pump out mm. but then is that to do with 
the strength of Ian Fleming's books. The original material, yeah. Is that to do with how well written it is? I don't know if anyone's ever read any Ian mm. Fleming books, uh, but they're incredibly well well written and mm. and they're very precise and they give a uh, they're like a manuscript, uh, you know, for 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 those Bond films. Yeah, for sure. Um, and it's the same with Harry Potter, you know, where J.K. Rowling is such an in- incredible author, and mm. what she produces is so uh, vivid and and easy to. Uh, the imagination is there, and you can you can execute properly. Whereas when it's a franchise, um, and more of a concept like a Fast and Furious or mm. like um even like the new uh, you know Star Wars or, yeah, Star, or Star Wars Star been... Wars was just a concept it, yeah. it was never a it, I might be wrong on this but I don't think it was ever a book or anything yeah I don't, just... I don't think they, there was like a grand plan I think they just made a movie and then they the movie was good so they made another movie mm. but and then maybe that's not surprising that I mean I, don't, I haven't seen the new one and the, the I don't watch Star Wars but, uh, but apparently they haven't been apparently they haven't been great but it's yeah. been bought by Disney hasn't it yeah so but it'll be interesting to see what happens there well these the new ones are all Disney ones yeah yeah so we're interesting but whether Disney just want to pump the most out of that IP and then just ditch it mm. Disney's one of those things it's interesting because they make they're making a lot of money now through their Disney Plus channel Mm. Uh, it's working extremely well in the US I'm not sure how well it's working it's, in the UK. it's not out yet but it's coming out soon in the UK it mm. be very interesting because uh, they their share price has done very well as well through yeah. um, Disney Plus and uh, it seems to be doing very very well they own Marvel as well they own Marvel yeah Yeah. so they're making loads of money through um, those Marvel films are really uh, are loved as well yeah I yeah. loved, loved films my brother was a massive fan I just thought so we, we essentially Iron Man came out in 2008 and Endgame came out last year or the year before I haven't seen it but yeah but 2017 I think it was these about 10 upwards of 10 films that are all linked into each other mm. that's never done, been done before successfully I, you're crazy growing up with that mm. when you think back to it I didn't know they're linked I have heard they're linked they're all linked they're all linked but I've never it's never been an interest of mine but I imagine if you are a superhero fan yeah. It must be very cool. It must be a very cool concept to see. Yeah, I didn't really appreciate it at the time, and then they, it all comes out. It's uh, yeah, good films. Mm. But anyway, I, I really enjoyed those. A good, good because I'm not a massive superhero film. I obviously like The Dark Knight, but I think The Dark Knight transcends superhero films. It's just an, I think it's just an excellent film. It's one of the IMDb top ten. Mm. Um, but other than that, I think they're a bit too. Did you watch the Joker? I did. What did you think of the Joker? I thought it was amazing. Yeah? I thought it was really good and I thought it was really funny. I thought from a comedic point of view. Well yeah. yeah. It was really funny. And I came out the film I came out the film with, with uh I went to go see it with my friend Ollie and uh, Mike and Jazz. Uh, and we came out and I said to them, That's probably one of the funniest films I've ever seen. Yeah. And Ollie said to me, It wasn't funny. And I think that that's the difference between like it's funny how you can see yeah. you can see humour in something like that mm. because I found bit I found some of the scenes really really dark yeah but funny but funny yeah and I think that they did that on purpose oh I for think sure that they were supposed to be funny like when he has a breakdown on stage and kills Robert De Niro yeah that was really funny or when they had that little midget who was in stuck in the room and yeah. he was laughing his head off that he just killed someone and the guy the midget was too short to unlock the, the latch door. yeah on the uh, on the door I thought that was so funny yeah but 
yeah, you know, maybe that maybe that's a reflection of me and, and mm. how crazy I am, as opposed to <laughs> yeah. But I think the good, cool thing about that film is it it's an, it 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 teaches you that we all have an element of the Joker inside us. That we're all everyone's a bit crazy. Everyone's a bit crazy. Yeah, I I enjoyed it. I the thing I found so you know there was like there was like so much media like outrage about it. I was like, oh, I have to watch this film now. It's apparently so controversial. I go, I go there and watch it with my mates, and I was like, eh, it's a good film. Mm. It's not it's not like crazy or anything. It's you didn't like it. Who no, no, I, I liked it. I thought it was a really good film. Do you think do you think it deserved to win? Wait, one best film of the year last year, didn't it? I'm trying to think what the competition was though. Once upon a time, Quentin Tarantino. Oh, I, I love that film. Yeah, how yeah. Can I forget. Yeah. Uh, what else came out that year? You had things like um, Star Wars. You can't remember that year. You had that Roma film that came out on Netflix that was really critically acclaimed. Yeah. Um, I didn't watch it. It was three hours long. It was about Spain, I think. Mm. Uh, Spanish War. You also had... Uh, yeah, you had um, another big film. I can't remember who it was up against. But yeah, there are there a few other ones. And, and Joachim Felix won uh, best, best Actor and Best Film. Mm. And I think Best Director went to Quentin Tarantino. But... It's interesting what you think about that once upon a time because I thought it was okay. Okay, yeah. But maybe I didn't understand the whole Charles Manson thing. Because, so this is the thing. But I thought it was, from my point of view, I thought it was a Quentin Tarantino vanity project. Oh, yeah? Why was that? Because it just seemed to be that it was all, it all led up to the scene with the flamethrower in the garden. Yeah. But it was three hours leading up to that. And I think that he just wanted to get a film where he can say, I've got Leo on, I've got Brad Pitt, I've got Margot, yeah. I've got Bruce Lee. This you star studded cast. I, I I think that it's one of those things that don't get me wrong, it's a good film. Mm. It's a good film, but I don't think that I think that but I'm not a big fan of Quentin Tarantino yeah. anyway. I yeah. don't I don't find his films that entertaining. I think that pulp fiction is a bit overrated. Yeah. I think I'm gonna get killed. But I <laughs> you know, I, I think that it's 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 a I understand why it's a classic, mm. but it's not for me. Okay. No, I think that's fair enough. I really like uh, Inglorious Bastards and Django Unchained. I think they're really yeah. good. I'm excellent. I um, n- so I went into the film with one person who also knew about like Manson because I'd watched a series on Netflix called Aquarius, which is really really good. Um, and that covered like the Manson thing. It was like about a detective trying to find someone who's joined the Manson family. So I knew I knew what happened, and then w- the film just subverts that. So you know, um, if you know the events actually happened, they play out on screen, but they play out differently. So you're like, oh, that's interesting. So I think you do need to have that extra knowledge to enjoy it to its full extent. Because the, the other person who knew about these, sort of just the background to the 60s, said it was an amazing film. And the person who didn't was like, I mean, it's all right. Mm. So it's interesting. It's interesting you said that as well. Yeah, I mean, my uh, other people I know like Ollie loved it yeah yeah. but um, you know, the joke was so controversial though. Like, what do you think of the controversy about it I don't think there's any reason for it to be controversial yeah because be, I, the thing the most I think valid criticism that someone brought up with me because I was like how it p- depicts mental health in quite like a negative way and saying sort of saying like, oh, I don't know if, if you have these issues you're going to turn into what he became in the film yeah, but you've got to remember it's that... Right, the Joker is supposed to be a crazy guy. Yeah. 
and even when one of my favourite actors of all time played it, um, uh, it was it was still like he he was a method actor mm. uh, the way that the way that he did it and you know it ultimately killed him um, Heath Ledger and I think that it's one of those things that the Joker is supposed to be crazy so I don't understand that argument that it depicts mental health in a poor way mm. I wonder if because mental health is at the forefront of it's on the tip of everyone's tongues at the moment yeah. maybe maybe it was in um, people were more, were more invested in that depiction of mental health but mm. I think that if you watch the old Heath Ledger films I think they're just as crazy yeah I guess the, the difference is that the Heath Ledger films he comes out the bat as crazy whereas this shows the more gradual process which I think m- people may find more disturbing is the fact that he goes from sort of like a failed comedian to this sort of crazy man mm. maybe that's what people find so troublesome but I, I, I went into it and thought, so I, I, I was aware of all the criticism and I saw it and I thought, mm, it's not really just. I don't really find um, it wasn't as like, sort of bad as I was expecting. Which I think lo- was the common theme I found with people asking people about it. Hmm. That's interesting. Uh, you and I also have a common interest in, in politics. And um, that is that's quite interesting because one of my earliest memories of us is when we were, we often in year 11 would, before form time, we would talk about, um, we'd be under a tree in front of our, in front of our form room, form room and we would talk about current affairs and we'd talk about politics. But what I feel at, at, that, at that time was that people would, people would listen to us yeah. and they would understand where we were coming from. but. They wouldn't. They would agree with us, but they would simply agree with us purely because we were having political conversations. I feel like they didn't have their own opinions. I feel like we were we were the minority that we often had opinions about things. Mm. But then they would just come up to us and they or you in particular, and they would go, "Oh, James, James be uh, James be prime minister and whatever." Even though I think that if they look back on certain things or certain point of views that you would have, they would disagree because everyone disagrees with everyone. Yeah. On, on a certain level. Yeah. But I think that it's interesting to, to see like how you could persuade people um, through just talking honestly. Yeah, I think people appreciate that. People people like hearing someone who knows what they have to say and hearing like a convincing argument for it. Um, but I think that sort of transcends them to the national level. Um, if you hear someone speak convincingly enough about something, you'll probably you're more likely to agree agree for it. It's just really what argument you hear first. Mm. What gets what what seed gets in your head, uh, especially if you don't really have a that big of an interest. Because I don't expect anyone to have a massive knowledge of politics, nor should you really. Mm. It's not. It's a, about like Christmas though, which is why, as you, as you, as we as we were saying before this podcast, that people like Trump and Farage and Boris mm. do so well with that with that populist um, I, idea that they can that their concepts are so basic and so simple delivering on such a basic mm. message you know leave means leave make yeah. America great again um, Brexit means Brexit type thing these these simple slogans that mm. reiterate people people don't really care about politics and policies anymore mm. they care about the, broad, the person the, and the yeah. broader system and they care about what this person this per, this politician 
how they represent me on a foreign stage in my country yeah as opposed to uh, what they can do for your country on an, on an individual basis through tax reform for example or something like that you know mm. I, I look at the situation in France and the way that Emmanuel Macron is perceived uh, throughout the world and it's very very negative yeah but then and and um, and yeah there is an issue there with 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 policies but I think that that's just in the French nature that we're always quite angry with mm. uh, reform and things like that mm. but in the UK we you can have a reform and people don't people don't strike as much people don't kick up a fuss yeah you know, and I think that's that's the main difference that's the West's uh, like the UK US influence that we um, we care more we care more about the leader and what they represent rather than the individual policies you know yeah I think with Trump and um, with uh, Johnson you have two people who have picked a message that appeals to like the lowest common denominator is so simple and then they use their personal charisma and their showmanship to push that message across because what we've found is people who eloquently put across point by point why their policies are so good aren't winning in elections anymore mm. it's who, who puts this across this simple message that, st- that sticks the prime example is make America great again and then you get you get elected and then what you do when you're elected is different but it's all about getting elected it's all about playing this game it's not mm. about so much so um, emphasising your policies or strengths in a particular area. Mm. Trump's win the next election. Um, I think I think it, it's 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 likely. It, it really does depend who the Democrats choose to take him on. Um, but I don't think the Democrats have learned the lessons they should have learned from the last election. Yeah, I think that it's that whole idea of it's the same. The Democrats and the Labour Party have made the same same mistakes in recent elections, in mm. my point of view, and that's playing on identity politics. Mm. So people care about the individual and not the group identity. Mm. And I think that that's had a real negative impact on both election campaigns. If you look at um, you know uh, the identity politics played by the Hillary Clinton side, it was you know being a female, uh, the empowerment character. Mm. And if you look at the identity politics, it was played. Um, by Jeremy Corbyn mm. and his party, it was to do with diversity inclusion, mm. which are not bad things. They're not bad things to run your party on, but it wasn't so much. They were they were trying to please too many people. Yeah, and I think that when you try and please too many people, as opposed to having a clear identity, mm. Jeremy Corbyn ultimately sat on the fence and um, and ultimately didn't end up picking a side. And yeah. we know that he's a long time Eurosceptic. Mm. But he, it seemed like the party was forcing him to go for a Remain standpoint because they thought that the Lib Dems would do so well. Mm. Uh, but then it resulted in Joe Swinson losing her seat. And as it turns out, the British people weren't so happy with that Remain mm. uh, tagline because we ultimately, you can't ignore the result of a referendum, which, mm. is, the, which is the underlying issue in Brexit. Yeah, I think... Yeah, regardless of your views on identity politics, and there's varied views across the political spectrum on, on, on that, it's fairly obvious that it isn't successful on a national elect- electoral scale. Because simply by saying this is the party for... If, if you are belong to this certain characteristic, you should vote for this party, you're saying to another group of people, you shouldn't vote to this party. And that's what happened. Mm. It, you should always just try to... You should never say no one can no one should vote for this party you should always say well 
we will all welcome everyone. This isn't the party for, I don't know, um, so like um, university students. This is the party for everyone. Mm. But we're going to target university students or whatever yeah. in order to. Yeah. Do you think, um, maybe just in C, do you think that something like. Um, what was I going to say? I'm going to say something then. Do you see something like, um, how do you see, so it's, it's, you know, the Conservatives got, got the majority they wanted because they wanted to, to deliver on the result of the referendum. And it's got to the stage now where we've, we've also, we've sort of gone to this uh, Conservative, uh, um, gone to this sort of semi-democracy, um, Dictatorship against conservatives dictatorship, mm. and and you know the good thing about that is that the conservatives can get through whatever piece of legislation they want to, yeah. Uh, which is why people voted for the overall for the massive Brexit majority that they got. Mm. But also the bad thing is that the conservatives can get through whatever uh, piece of legislation they want, yeah. Because there's no opposition now with a with with a backbone. Mm. But what? How do you think the the future of poli- I I can see a reign now. The Conservative Party for a long, long time, mm. unless something changes. Yeah, but I can't see Labour coming back from this. Oof, it's a tricky one. I, I, I hope Labour come back from this. I hope Labour come back from this quickly because there's nothing worse than a political party not having effective opposition, and that's not good because it it means uh, the governing the government get uh, complacent and they make mistakes and they don't necessarily put forth the best po- possible policy. Was if they constantly have a competent opposition, regardless of how many seats, just a competent opposition that can successfully scrutinise rather than focusing on essentially um, internal conflict. Well, the Labour Party have been so obsessed with stabbing each other in the back. Mm. They haven't turned their attention to what should be the more important issue of sort of providing that second opinion. But it is interesting to see which direction the Labour Party will take. So um, Sakia Starmer is the current front runner. Mm. Who's the bookie's favourites as well, but um, he's much. He's very anti-Brexit. So it was mm. very interesting having a leader who is being so vocally anti-Brexit. I don't think he's the man to get back the vote who were so pro-Brexit. Mm. Because that's how uh, Labour lost their seats, including uh, big, long-time Labour strongholds like Bolsover with Dennis Skinner, mm. uh, who'd who'd been an MP since nineteen seventy something, seventy-two, I think it was. Um, and and that north of England is predominantly leave mm. voting areas and they, they neglected that and yeah, I think it's to do with the Labour Party wanting to align themselves with this alternative option mm. where, you know, we give everyone everything by not giving them a, a choice really. Yeah. You know, we're gonna negotiate a deal, bring it back to the people, have a vote on it, mm. actively campaign against our deal. It doesn't it doesn't it, make sense. It doesn't make any sense. Yeah. And I think that, you know, if you you know, they take four four left turns and end up where they are again you know and there's no progress mm. being, being made and I think that that's the, the biggest issue who would you say your uh, three biggest uh, political influences Im- influences of the decade would you say does that have to be positive or just influence in general influence right so I'm going to say number who, one who, who shaped British politics past decade yeah so from um, 2010 to 20, 2019. 
I'd say Nigel Farage is the top of the list. He, he is. Um, whether you like him or not. Whether you like him or not, I think he's he's had such an influence on British politics. Despite the fact he's never been elected to Parliament, he I would say he almost single-handedly is the reason for Brexit because he's used his charisma and influence to, to basically get Brexit mm. um, get Brexit done, really. Um, and he succeeded in the goal he set out to do without stepping foot in Westminster, which I think is impressive. Um, I think David Cameron is obviously going to be tarnished with the referendum as his legacy but I think and the coalition and the coalition but I think the coalition was quite a successful for a coalition for a coalition I think they did they did some work and obviously he was Mm. Prime Minister for half the decade so I think he has to be up there I think and obviously his decision to call the referendum will have lasting influences that have gone for generations Mm. and then third I have to say probably probably Jeremy Corbyn because I think he's had such an influence on getting younger people interested in politics and a whole and opened up a whole new range of discussions and appealed to people that the Labour Party hadn't appealed to before. And regardless of um who succeeds him, I think he has done a, a fairly good job as a like apart from the last referendum. With the biggest Labour defeat um in living history. Yeah, but I, I feel when I talk about influence I think he has been extremely influential because he's changed he's changed the debate. And sure, sure, he may not have won the debate, but he changed mm. the debate. If That's that makes what sense. You mean. And he's he's brought he's brought more people into the debate mm. because people either love him or hate him. But the people who love him or hate him both have become passionate about issues on either side. Yeah, I don't know where I stand with Jeremy Corbyn. He sort of he frustrates me. He frustrates me more than anything. Yeah, I think I think lots of people share that share mm. that view. I think the people who love him take everything on. And there's people, the people who hate him, like hate, hate, hate. Oh yeah. yeah. And then there's sort of people who are a bit ambivalent. They're like, "What? Well, why didn't you do that? That makes more sense to do." I feel like he's been sort of held to ransom a bit by his own party. Mm. He's been scapegoated a lot for the party that he that he holds so dearly. Mm. And I think that it's it's an appalling uh, way to have been treated. I think that they should have backed him and backed his leadership rather than have him as a have have him as a Figurehead as a poster boy for Labour mm. for this uh, socialist regime, mm. and they should just let him run it rather than try and run it from the wings, you know. Because mm. anyone who knows anything about Jeremy Corbyn knows he's Eurosceptic mm. and knows that he actively campaigned up against destroying the common market. And then it's so frustrating when you see him against his will almost, yeah, because he never ever during that election campaign said um, whether he was for or anti-Brexit because everyone deep down knew he was anti sorry he was anti um, Australian the common market yeah. I mean. um, for, for, from the get go so I, I think that that's ultimately what, what killed him what's killed him off and killed his political career mm-hmm. well he's had a fantastic political career I don't think that he'll, he'll be looking back on it sadly uh, and I also think that there's that sort of distrust for Jeremy Corbyn. I think that people just see him as this person who will do anything to get to power. And I think that that also was down to the momentum group, you know, telling him how he can and can't mm. behave. I think that that didn't do any any favours for him. I think that they should have just let him run it the way he wanted to run it. Yeah. But that's 
is that Labour's fault or Jeremy Corbyn's? It's an interesting question to be asked. I'm sure they're asking themselves the same questions. Yeah, and I think that it'll be interesting to see now with this. I think Keir Starmer's favourite as well. I think that he'll win. Uh, I, I, I'm glad to see Jess Phillips pull out. I think that she offered nothing to the uh, to the leadership race. I think that she was just uh, getting on the bandwagon of of a few angry mouths uh, shouting down the opposition in the House of Commons. I think that that's not what the Labour Party need right now. No. They they need uh, someone with proper direction and who knows what they're doing and not just not just an angry woman from Birmingham. Um, and then there's that um, other woman, who, Rebecca Longbottom. Yeah. Yeah, she's the um, sort of second favourite. Yeah, she's more in line with Corbyn. Mm. Um, but it'll be interesting because if they pick her, that's that's quite a, um, that's quite an endorsement of Corbyn's leadership. James and I are also both avid Arsenal fans. Yep. Unfortunately. Unfortunately, someone has to be, you know, these days. Yeah, and uh, we sometimes go to games together. Uh, we also have been known to. Um, have been known to win a game when we go when we go together, but um, yeah, we should. What, what's interesting though is that James wasn't always a football fan, uh, and if I remember, because there was a point in time where I, um, he would get quite annoyed with people talking about football all the time, but then you um, you had an epiphany. Yeah, <laughs> an epiphany, a footballing epiphany. Yeah. So when I was a kid, I. I'd never played football. Um, I'd played rugby um, until um, year five, year six, and then I stopped playing that. And I just, I, I hated football. I never wanted anything to do with it. And then um, year 11 or so, just love it again. I, now I just watch every every game and I think it's great. As you say, we've been to a couple of games and it's, um, and it's a really great experience. Um, yeah. Mm. Would you say that it's, um, but you don't, you like club football and you still watch rugby. Yeah. That's correct, isn't it? Uh, but you don't watch, you don't watch club rugby. No, I, I'd been to Saracens um, play a couple of times when I was younger, which is interesting because they're in the news for um, maybe financial uh, reasons. Mm-hmm. They're going down to the league below them. Um, but no, I, I, I've really, only really follow um, club football and then I watch the international rugby. So... Watch international rugby, and when you watch international rugby, do you support England? Yeah, England yeah. yeah. Now, an interesting question that my uncle, uh, Uncle Bob, Uncle Bob, Bob's my uncle, Bob's uh, uncle, would always ask me. He he's obsessed with this idea of does it do you feel English or do you feel British? Hmm, that's an interesting question. From a sport perspective, or just in general, both. I mean, from sport, I obviously feel English because Team GB is only in the Olympics. Mm. No one watches the Olympics. Mm. <laughs> um, I just, from a nationality point of view, it really depends. Probably British most of the time. Mm. Um, but then, m- most of Britain is England, so is British identity so English anyway? Yeah. So I feel like if I was Scottish, I'd probably more likely to say Scottish. Mm. Do you feel embarrassed to be British sometimes when you go on holiday? No. Well, no. You do see terrible Brits abroad, um, but no. I think you should be. You should, be like, you should always be proud of your nationality, regardless of what, because it's, it reflects on you, not other people's behaviour. It's your job to sort of uphold that. Uphold, that. uphold those values. We do see some hilarious scenes of um, like the foot, England England football football fans going away. Mm. 
getting into all sorts of shenanigans. It's no, I was just wondering what, what your point of view on that is. I wanted to ask. And if you feel as if, you know, the English do a disservice to Great Great Britain sometimes. I just think you'll find that anyway. You'll, you'll have some people, some bad eggs. And it's often the, the, the work, that, the, the badly behaved people that ruin it for everyone else. Like, mm. Just a tiny like minority of... But, you know, it is what it is. You can't really... There'll always be people like that. Mm. Now, talking about football, though, um, did you see... You, uh, well, you did see the treatment of um, Granit Xhaka, an Arsenal player, um, and the abuse that he got on social media in the aftermath of that. So, for those of you who don't know, Granit Xhaka was the Arsenal captain. Uh, he got stripped of the captaincy because uh, he got substituted off the pitch and refused well he didn't refuse to leave the pitch but was walking very slowly when we were 1-0 down and then told the fans to fuck off and made a gesture at them and then took his armband off and threw it on the floor and his shirt took his shirt off and threw it on the floor and walked straight down the tunnel which Arsenal is always is always has that association with being the classy club it's always the Arsenal way to do it the mm. Arsenal way is synonymous with the right way it's, it's that class and integrity um, but it's not it, what's what's strange with Arsenal is that it's not the first time that we've turned on our players yeah. and we've turned on our manager yeah. and it, we got rid of our manager by almost like one of these dictatorships you know having a revolt mm. and, and the way that we treated you know the greatest thing to ever happen to our football club was was in my opinion revolting yeah uh, and I also think that the way that we treated Granit Xhaka on social media was, was disgusting to the point where he was receiving death threats and he was turning off comments on his on his feed, you know? Yeah, I think... I mean, specifically to Arsenal, we've had a toxic, toxic atmosphere at the Emirates basically since we've been at the Emirates. I think it's, there's lots of resentment amongst the fans. We haven't been... We've been underperforming for ages and it's become the new normal. Um, I think that, that happens when things aren't going well. It's a shame. I think it's it's made worse by social media. And in the case of Grant Jack, I was there at the time, and it was awful. It's awful being in the stadium, and um, having sixty thousand people turn on you like that. Yeah, and and for him, that, mm. that's, you're 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 their captain. You know, there's sixty thousand people who feel like you're on your back. You and he was the moment, the passion. Of course, you're gonna you're gonna you're gonna do something. And he's he's a very passionate guy, rightly or wrongly, um, and he's gonna do something. And then he he comes out and says. People aren't happy with his apology. Fair enough. He has said something. It took him a while to do it, but then people are sending death threats to his kids, to his wife. It's absolutely revolting. Like you can't, you can't, you can't call yourself a fan of any football or even a decent human if you're sending all death threats to a one-year-old child because of something their father did on a football pitch. It's, it's honestly, mm. it's, it's really, but it's not, it's not on. But what do you think would affect him more? Would it be the on-pitch criticism or the off-pitch criticism on social media? And do you think that that's a uh, what 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 do you think would would it would it would negatively impact you more? It's a tricky one because it oh, you feel like you've got sixty thousand people chanting down your down your back and you feel like everyone's against you. That's not the case because of but it will feel that way. But once that's done, it's done, you know. And you you can come back on the pitch and you can put in a good performance like he's been doing at the minute and try and get them back on side. Back on board, yeah. And and they would do that because in in a football game. It, in the stadium, it's the performance that puts a good atmosphere on. But with with people like people hiding behind screens and sending abuse towards your family, non-stop, mm. I just 
how how do you get past that? I feel yeah. like they'll they'll always be on your back. Mm. I mean, I I once said to someone I can't remember who, but I said that the thing that we should do. I know it's a bit big brothery and it has its controversies, but there should be some sort of ID system mm. where you know whether it be on Facebook or or Instagram or Snapchat or Twitter or whatever. Facebook, Instagram is the same company, but if you take a picture for some banking apps, you have to take a picture of your driving license as a form yeah. of identification. And wouldn't it be better? Wouldn't the internet, social media platforms, be a better place if um, you could regulate? who was behind that person yeah so if if someone were to write death threats to someone you could instantly flag it up and be like oh this person here driving license we know where they live because if you were to walk down the street and say to someone i hope you fucking die Mm. go and kill yourself Mm. um you would you would be done for a hate crime you would be done for you know i'm gonna bludgeon you in your sleep you know yeah You, you, you would end up in court and you would either get a restraining order put on you mm. or or you would end up in doing community service or, or, exactly, or yeah. a fine or whatever but on social media there seems to be no accountability it's and, and you can make these sorts of comments and on a fake profile that you can create in five minutes and then tweet it at someone you hate who has a different opinion from you and then delete it yeah it's a, it's a strange world we're living in especially and the, the worst thing is, these are sometimes people on their own accounts. Their personal accounts got their like um, all their information there, and they're still doing this. You, well, I'd hope these people would never do it in in public. But then you see in football sometimes you see uh, the disgusting like, like people making monkey noises. It's particularly bad in the Italian league, but it happens mm, in the UK. Yeah. And and you think this is this is revolting. This is disgusting. Why are you doing that? No. And they're on camera, happy doing it. Mm. It's ridiculous, and I, sh- I don't know what you can do about it because mm. you just really have to kick these people out of football. Mm. But with the online thing, didn't uh, yeah? I mean, be interesting to see. Like, I I've often read about how people go offline on mm. social media for a long time, uh, and I just wonder what whether today because we spend so much time on screens and we get het up over um, you know I really think that social media is a is the cause of so much negativity in the world sometimes yeah whether that be through um, whether that be through um, politics or whether that be uh, through you know social media death threats things like that I think that genuinely we get so het up on trying to people please and trying to we care upholding um, appearances, and I think that it'd be interesting to see, like if if we all got rid of social media tomorrow, I think that it wouldn't. The only the only people that would suffer would be marketing yeah. and advertising. It's um, yeah, I think social media can can be great, um, but it's got people use it too much. It becomes sort of an addiction. Mm. And I think it's it's unhealthy because people would rather live through their screens than live live amongst like live live life, and it's where someone liking your your, your post, uh, your video, your tweet, whatever, means more than someone praising you in your life, or means that you wouldn't seek someone, you wouldn't seek out people, you'd just stay inside. You have that virtual yeah. interaction. That virtual interaction has replaced that human connection, and that's one of the reasons I, I love football so much is. You go to the stadium and you've got you've got people living in the moment. It's not it's not um, 
just online it's 60, 65 people watching a football yeah people football come together whether that be music football church on Sunday yeah. they all come together to for a joint cause that everyone there in the congregation in the crowd believes in and wants to wants to see do well mm. you know in church whether that be humanity or you know worship and and the same football seeing that team or the artists do well yeah that, that crowd it's that whole community coming together and then because you and i i know we both have the same passion for something we that then brings us together we could have a different point of view on mm. on politics we could have a different point of view on 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 many many things uh, you know we're all individuals and mm. there's there's a plethora of different um different ways in which we can express ourselves for our for our opinions but ultimately when we're together it's that community and and you know you wouldn't you wouldn't fall out with someone in real life because they had a different opinion from yeah there's such whereas a mind difference whereas you wouldn't mind because there's, there's no reason to get to know them i feel like people's networks of of friends acquaintances are so much smaller than it used to be because you don't do things in person more people like if you don't live with someone you don't see someone on a daily basis or that your family you just you're not going to see people like you don't have that connection and i don't think it's um too much to connect that with how toxic the debate on these social media platforms has become because you never see these people you can be awful you can say awful things you can say um without any fear of repercussions just because um, that's that's how it is you 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 don't have this connection you have no no common ground all you know is they held this different view to you this one specific view which means they must be a terrible person Mm. it's not healthy for society i I don't know and i don't know what you can do about it Mm. Interesting to see. I also think that you know it's not it's not good. There are more and more. I know that mental health has become uh, the issue uh, surrounding young people today. And um, you know, but I I think that you know I think that we all have um, tragedies in our lives, uh, some more than others. And I think that it's uh, we sh- mental health is something that we shouldn't. Uh, shouldn't neglect you know I have friends who've, who've had suicidal thoughts mm. you know and, and it's you know it's a very real issue but I think that we can also self-medicate uh, not through um, drugs and antidepressants and, mm. and things I think that we could uh, taking a break from social media um, you know going out for a walk seeing your friends that there can can really boost your mental health and it can really help Oh, for sure. Because people... I don't know whether you've ever, ever ever experienced someone, you know, reaching out to you and saying, you know, let's go out for a walk or something, if, if you've ever been in that awful place, you know, where you're... Yeah, I think that's that's the thing. Like, even even if people mean their best and they're reaching out to you online, it's still online. It's still online. You, you, I'd, yeah, you'd much rather someone not send be... Let's go get a coffee. Instead. Yeah. Like, it, maybe ringing someone or sending someone a message, that's great, but why don't you say, send them a message, give them a ring and say, Come on, mind for a coffee. Come mm. on, mind. We'll, we'll we'll go out tonight. We'll do something nice. It means so much more, and you'll both get more out of it. Mm. But it's all this sort of instant access. It's instant. I need to get this instantly. Mm. Which yeah, it's all it's sort of fake, you know. Sending just because you send a message saying, "Oh hi, how are you? Hope you're okay." Yeah. It often doesn't mean that you care that much. Because yeah. if you did care, you would see that person. Yeah, it's the least you can do. Yeah. But you should always try and do more. You should always strive to be better. Mm. And I think that that's we should we shouldn't neglect it. And 
but I think that that's where because especially I think that you know I'm not I'm not necessarily religious I was brought up a Catholic yeah um, but I think that it's that it's that thing where we've we've lacked it growing up now in today's society mm. where my grandparents generation would always have gone to church mm. and you know church isn't as popular as it used to be I know I have friends that still go to church that are deeply religious and that you know if that's what speaks to you that's that's okay but I think that people need that need a sense of community they need to find mm. their passion they need to find something because you know going back people would have gone to church whereas now they don't do that and it mm. seems to be that they spend more of their time online on Sunday when they back in the day stereotypically they would have gone to church and seen people of a similar age and they would have done more more mm. and more things but it's just it's not it's a reflection on you know the times have changed yeah. we, we can't do anything about that but what we can change is how we create a community and how we yeah. interact with, with other people and I think that that's 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 what people should do yeah um, if you are that way you should not, not, not just that way but most people should you know look, look for a community and, and make sure that and you're, have, you're having that human interaction yeah have this in-person like interpersonal human human connection because it, it means so much more I mean it's 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 ultimately so much better than just getting a couple of dopamine hits when you get a like Someone mm. so, someone complimenting you in person is far better than, than any of those likes. Mm. You like that person more if yeah. they give you a compliment. Yeah, exactly. It works both ways. Mm-hmm. You feel better about yourself and they feel better about themselves. Yeah. And I think that that's... We can, we can learn a lot by looking at... People often say that... Look at all the mistakes made in the past. But I think that we can also look back at the past and think about often... The, uh, the way in which things were done the old way mm. weren't necessarily wrong yeah and you know whether that be through cooking uh, you know with the rationing using more basic ingredients and still producing excellent meals mm. and not having all that fast food grease and chocolate that yeah. we have in today's society or you know adopting that old fashioned technique of uh, not not using plastic and things like that yeah back in the day my grandparents never used plastic. Plastic wasn't invented, yeah. and and there's many people often say, "Oh, you know, the old." They, they there's a certain association with old methods, old practices, and it not being the best way of doing things, yeah. and it being outdated. But often, I think that we should look to the past for some guidance. Yeah, you can have the best of both worlds. Just because something's old doesn't mean it's terrible you know the old saying if it ain't broke don't fix it but still like new things come along and you do get some people who are too resistant to change but you just need to take take both into consideration thanks for, oh. having, thanks for having me on the show that's oh, okay uh, thanks for coming hope you've enjoyed it uh, we've, we've had to film this over five hours over five hours because the first segment was corrupted so uh, and we lost it so this uh, sorry if our voices get quite sore towards the end Uh, but I hope that you enjoyed it nonetheless and you still found some value out of it and uh, I'd just like to thank James Follows for being so open with me on the show and and, uh, being happy to come here being a good sport and giving up his his day his day yeah (laughs) well Uh, my pleasure my pleasure